Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism grew out of the Pop Sequentialism catalog and traveling exhibition of comic book art and has started a um, hundred and some odd episodes ago here at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, which makes me the longest running program on the Meltdown Podcast Network. And, um, you know, we also like to talk about some of the other endeavors we have, uh, my participation with the Panic Collective, which is Panic with a K. And, um, you know, my gallery out in Pasadena, which is Gallery 30 South, and that's gallery30south.com and all the ats and all the socials. Uh, you can follow this podcast on social media at, at podsec, P-O-D-S-E-Q. And, uh, of course, you want to get hip to what's happening at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles by following them on their social medias, which is where we record almost every week. So um, what I wanted to do with this particular podcast, and since we've been kind of having a, a change in direction to focus, I think, a little bit more, not necessarily as much on comics per se as uh, the DIY spirit, aesthetic, and um, you know ancillary causes that connect to what we do in entertainment, I wanted to have a show that specialized on the immigrant experience in Hollywood. And so um, my first guest today is going to be uh, Melissa Campbell, who is a young actress who had uh, a, a career for quite a long time in her home country before coming to Los Angeles and, and trying to make it here as well. And what I think is amazing about what um, we perceive when we know a little bit about performers from other countries is that we sort of assume that there's this great big network like that that there's Hollywood and that everybody in Hollywood knows everybody in Hong Kong and everybody in Hong Kong knows everybody you know in um, in Bollywood and like there's this kind of this large knowledge base that people can pull from and what you're going to discover in this program um, via our, our two guests and our second guest will be Diana Georgie uh, who uh, comes to us from St. Petersburg Russia and has lived in the United States for a very long time, is that there's never any real expectation of a continuance of success. And so um, what we're going to talk to uh, these two women about today are the challenges, but also the um, kind of the silver lining to a lot of this stuff. So without further ado, welcome, Melissa. Hi. Hey. Hi, so we've been, try- we've been trying to plan this for a while. Yeah. So this is nice. Yeah. And um, talk to everybody about... I guess first of all, we should say that uh, you are you're a successful actress in Malaysia. Um, mm-hmm. You were acting as a child and continued to act into adolescence. Yeah, and um, you were born in Australia and then moved to Malaysia. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, you're biracial. Yes. And uh, you came to the U.S. in 2010. And what are the differences right off the bat between being in Malaysia and being in Los Angeles? Wow, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, I moved here. I moved 2010 to New York first. Yep. Like my my, I think my gateway into the industry was going to school mm-hmm. when I was in New York. But the biggest thing I think coming to LA, it was just knowing where to begin. Mm. And there's a lot of noise. Yeah. There's a lot of noise, and you don't necessarily know. For me, it was like who to listen to. Yeah. 
you get advice from all directions. You get it from your peers, and then you also get it from from ministry professionals. And everybody's telling you that you should be going this direction and that direction, and it, it becomes incredibly overwhelming. Yeah, I think the biggest thing as well is also the the feeling like you have a, a lack of of control. I think I can see that. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for me was really the, the noise, and you you start with that, you start doubting your own decisions I've mm. seen this I've seen this a lot and no, I was an actor for a very long time mm. in, in the 90s but it completely fell in my lap it mm. wasn't something that I was actively pursuing yeah. and so I was a little bit spoiled by it right. and when I would meet other actors and they would kind of hear you know the the weird circumstances I went with a friend of mine to her casting session mm. while we were going to a movie that her boyfriend did the music for and my friend produced and so after that we had to rush across town to get to this casting session and she signed in and I looked on the sides and I was like oh I could probably do this and I just kind of signed in as a lark and I got it and it was Moshe Braca (laughs) and it was a major GTE campaign it was billboards print and a commercial and I didn't have an agent so I just grabbed her agent so all the things that everybody fights for, you know, people are doing like actors equity and they're doing, yes. you know, plays. They bring in these resumes that are like, oh, I did four years of mm-hmm. high school and then I've got a, a drama degree. Yes. I didn't need any of it because I had money that was just waiting to be given to an agent for doing nothing ex- except signing a paperwork. Oh. And when I'd talk to other performers, there was a little bit of like, oh, this fucking guy. I- <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can't fucking believe it. But then they're like, I was so kind of fascinated by every aspect of it that I didn't have any sense of being jaded about it. And so when yes. I would go to calls, yes. I would just be like, wow, this is the greatest thing. There's like 500 people here. And everybody else is like, who is this lunatic? Right. And because I would be different, it would show on camera because mm-hmm. they just saw a bunch of people one after the other after the other who all had that kind of same prep, that same yes. attitude, that same why have I been here for two and a half hours when my call time was at noon. And then this 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 idiot, me, right. walks in and I was acing commercials forever. You know, there's something I think to be said about that. I think one of the best advice I ever got was um, from a producer mm-hmm. and that I worked with when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And he, he said to me, Melissa, the people are going to tell you a bunch of things. But you need to stop thinking you need to be busy and to take everything that you can and do because you are going to become jaded. And you're going to walk into these rooms and they're going to see it on you. Yeah. I think that's like what you said. There's the beauty of you walking in and being so just at ease while everybody else is like feels the need to maybe take everything and pad their resumes and to look like I'm I'm successful. I am working. I am, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's the thing that a lot of young actors like me face is that mm-hmm. need to be like, okay, wh- what am I doing? I need to be doing this. Let's do that web series. Let's do that project. Let's take this. Let's yeah. do, do it. everything. The Antonio Banderas principle, take every yes. job they offer you. Well, when I did become 100% jaded you know, yeah. in like three years of going to commercials, you know, you hit a certain point and then like, oh, they have seen you around. Mm. And then if you're, if you have fast success, you even see it on the sides, not the stuff that the actors get, but the agents get. And I remember walking into my, my agency's um, office during a transition where my, my agent left yeah, this, this controversy and I'm, we won't talk about that but um, <laughs> but I ended up getting a different agent and I kind of blamed the departure of this other agent who actually stole a lot of money from me but oh, he was like geez. hungry so I was like oh he must have been the reason why I made it work mm. and she and the, the other agent I didn't feel was working as hard because I didn't come up with her I was sort of she was yeah. saddled with me uh-huh. 
and she showed me a side and my name was on the um, description of the commercial. And I was like, well, great. They're looking for a Matt Kennedy type. Mm-hmm. I can do Matt Kennedy like yeah. nobody, <laughs> you know, and I didn't get it. Damn it. And I totally didn't get the spot. And wow. I was kind of like, whoa. And, and that really right. kind of twisted me off a little bit. And then I would see Happy Idiots. Like I used to be yeah. at auditions getting commercials all the time. And like all, and then my friends and I, and some of whom at the time who were going on auditions, some of these people have become really famous. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy Crudup I used to see around quite a bit. Um, and of course I used to see, um, saw Tobey Maguire a little bit in the early days. Um, and Jeremy Renner used to see a lot. And Jeremy lived down the street from me and there were a couple of times where we even carpooled together to auditions. Wow. And so you'd have these guys and then you'd see somebody like, um, oh my God, the, um, the guy from Nightcrawler, um, J- Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. And, and I remember see, meeting Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal at a commercial audition after he had done October Sky. And he was a super nice guy, like a ridiculously super nice guy. And so we, we all liked him immediately. And then you'd see these imbeciles walk in mm. and get the job and we'd all be like, oh. and it's like, if one of us got it, it was hard for us to be mad because we wanted six, you know, you're a little jealous and you're a little hurt, yeah, yeah. but none of us looked alike. So yeah. it's like, okay, they Fair went enough. in a completely different direction. Right, right. And there's really not much you can do about it. If you you know, mm-hmm. cattle calls, they call everybody and they mm-hmm. sift and and then, you know, there'll be a producer who who reminds you remind them of themselves at a certain age and you get it or something. And and in T V com in T V work and in episodic T V and pilot season, there's a lot of that. Mm. And it's they ruin the the main reason I'm I'm convinced why most pilots don't go to series is because a producer has made a terrible decision that they are somehow the best character for this this show and they right. cast somebody who looks or sounds like them wow. and they are the yeah. worst person to be in that in mm. that role. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, I I rapidly became jaded too, and then stopped booking work. Yeah. So it, I think there's some truth to that. Right. But I and I think the advice you got is is good. And and when when you're busy, you keep your chops up too. So mm-hmm. if you're doing little film projects for your friends, if you can, you know, like and when you hit union, there's a certain you have to say no to certain work unless mm-hmm. you're a producer mm-hmm. and there's like you know the weird union rules yeah. but um until that point i always encourage everybody to do as much work as possible yeah. like not worry so much about i mean unless it's a, you know a role that you think is terrible but um even if you're not acting to go and help out on sets to yeah. stay busy so you get that energy going mm-hmm. So um, what projects had you done in Malaysia before you, you came to the U.S.? Yeah, uh, well, I actually started when I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. And my first commercial I did was for Colgate. Nice. Yeah. You have perfect teeth. <laughs> yes, I do not have perfect teeth. I'm never I getting a Colgate commercial. <laughs> I was six years old. I don't know how perfect my teeth be, but bless. Yeah, um, and I knew when I was on set, I was like, oh. I was like, oh, I love this. Yeah. Like, I actually had a really good time. And um, I think when I was eight years old and I had my first taste of, like, a real sort of Hollywood production was when I did Anne and the King. Mm-hmm. And they came to Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur, and they, they came to my school and they walked into my classroom and they went, is there anybody here that acts? I remember being eight years old and I put up my hand and I was like, uh, me? Yeah. And um, went through the whole casting process. Um they, they saw a bunch of people and I was really fortunately made it down to the last two people and they asked me if I was alright with shaving my head and I was like hell yeah I was like take it all off and I think being on that set and that scale even at eight years old I knew it was like Disneyland to me yeah. and I, I was like I want to do this and, and I need so this to. is mm. this is the Cha Yun Fa yeah, and Jodie Foster right. live yeah. action adaptation of Anne yeah. and the King of Sam and, um, and that was 
that was kind of like the coming out party for um, for Cha Yun Fa for serious roles. Yes, um, he had been, of course, very well known as a Hong Kong action hero mm-hmm. and had done a couple of American action films. But um, to position him as a romantic lead in an American right. movie was kind of a um, a new thing, which is nice. And for Bai Ling too. Oh, Bai Ling was in that. Yeah, she was. She was. Well, incredible. she had been in The Crow, and she had been in yes. Red Corner. Yes. And um, and actually, her story is tragic. I mean, <sighs> she she's somebody who I think was. Obviously, had, there's a history of, of abuse going back to China mm. and um, was also, I think, incredibly mistreated in the U.S. And, you know, there was it was so difficult for someone. She was getting such accolades, getting higher and higher profile roles mm. and then getting called in on stuff that I think was tremendously beneath her. Mm-hmm. And you have to work. So yeah, you have to yeah. kind of you have to take stuff that is yeah. maybe a little bit off. And so she had to transition from being like the serious actress into like the the sexy Asian girl. And I think it mm-hmm. just wore away at her psychologically. Right. I I, you know, I, I think back, I was really young at the time. Did that kind of happen after? Was that, was that sort of, when was, was this not Pat before 1999 or sort of like after 2000? Do you feel like she started to take? I think probably from that, af, after Anna and the King, yeah. like as you start getting into... Um, Baby Daddy, I think she's in Baby Daddies. I think she's yeah. in, um, and then she started like getting like kind of like these, you know, really sort of culturally insensitive portrayals yeah. of Asians. And so then, then she was also being targeted by other Asian professionals. Like, mm. how can you put forward that, you know, that stereotype? And um, and then, you know, in Entourage, it's kind of like you know she's the the sexy stunt coordinator who ends up sleeping with the star, and it's kind of yeah. like. All it, it really terrible examples of of roles for um, a woman, and I mean now, Byling's older than me and looks like a million bucks. She yeah. looks fantastic, yeah. <laughs> and um, and it's it's a bummer. I think she's she and she's starting to kind of get a comeback. She was in the um, one of the um, the Stallone series that's got like every action hero in it. Um, oh, yeah, the. Um, Expendables. Expendables. Yes. And I think yeah. she was in the third one, and, I, and I'm, I think she's getting called back in for other things mm-hmm. from that producer. But, I mean, you know, um, Bose Davidson, who uh, is a producer and writer on that series, is himself an international filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And so I think he may have um, a sort of perspective as an international um, producer on that type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. he knows that if you really want to take advantage of someone like her, take advantage of the fact that she's a very physical actress, that she has martial arts capabilities, that she's she has a really specific look. You want her in the close-up. You don't want to necessarily squander that on something that could go to anybody else, you know, yeah. that, that she does have a certain dynamic. But, um, so you, we digress. So you, you're getting this role, you shave your head at, at you know, the age of eight <laughs> for this um, international production. Yeah. And so this is like after a Colgate commercial and you're getting a movie and now yeah. you really got the bug. Like it's oh, really yeah. bitten you. Mm-hmm. And so what, what happens from there? I continued, I continued acting. Like mm-hmm. I was seeing my coffee in commercials and doing like, uh, and when I was a teenager, I started doing more of the, for, I call them like soap operas. Mm-hmm. To me, they're like the typical Mexican soap operas where, the, you know, they're dramatic and the close-ups go in and they, yeah. that whole thing. And I always knew, I was like, I, and I started doing voiceover work. I started doing animation and a director at the time who was from the States was like, what are you, you want to do this? Mm-hmm. You need to really do it. Yeah. You need to go now. What are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, I, I, you know, and he was kind of like the catalyst to push me to audition for my school and I got in and at the time I was in college mm-hmm. 
and I dropped out and I grabbed my four bags and I was like, I'm moving to New York. And I'd never been to the States before. Wow. Yeah. I remember arriving with my four bags and being like, holy shit. Yeah. It's everything like it is in the movies. Yeah. When you arrive in New York City at 18 with four bags. <laughs> it's. <laughs> well, I know a kid who actually, yeah. um, uh, you know, I grew up in Boston and uh, north of Boston. And a kid that I went to high school with uh, went to NYU. Yeah. And. The first day he went, you know, he could get there before before yeah. school starts. So you got all your stuff on the front, you know, stoop. Yeah. And he didn't know any better and was kind of like, hey, can you watch this while I go to the oh. store? And all of his stuff got <laughs> stolen. Every single thing he brought with him was gone when he got back oh, from Jesus. the corner store. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, waiting for the landlord to meet him with the keys. And uh, and he did not last his first oh, at least term I didn't have at NYU. Yeah. I'm from Malaysia, you know. I'm about, everybody's about to fuck at these you. Oh, shit, can I swear? You can swear, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, somebody's about to jack me. Somebody's out. Yeah, so yeah. that's what I got that part down. So that was all right. <laughs> so you had done like a bit of television. Yeah, yeah, I'd done a bit. You know, I always like, I'm like, oh, for, the, for the industry that is, um, it's a very small network. And it's sort of, it's not like, it's not like it is here. There, it's like, they look at the way you work on site and how your culture is. And then you sort of get referred and you yeah. kind of, you know keep definitely going from there and but I, I look back and I was like I was so young mm-hmm. I was so young I was like the technique of acting that I was working in was from my own like yeah in my head what I thought it was yeah you know I look back and I'm like oh it was horrible <laughs> I was so bad I just look back I'm like Gosh. I just have like, a really high opinion of myself like, <laughs> I, I go back and I, I look at you know the commercials and yeah. stuff that I did and, and you know in the early 90s there was like four Super Bowls in a row that I had a commercial in yeah and um you know that's like better than in a row, I mean, that's probably better than any quarterback. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. I was in the Super Bowl four years in a row. Uh, yeah. But the, um, and I see some of them, and I'm not really embarrassed by them. I'm yeah. kind of like, I remember what it was like being on those sets yeah. and that sense of wonder. And, and that first GTE commercial was also like got tremendous, for whatever reason, like newspaper mm-hmm. coverage. And so there was a, a shot of me in USA Today. Yeah. So like my mom didn't really read USA Today, but I found out about it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in the newspaper, uh, you know? And, yeah. and that's a great bragging thing. So, you know, they, they pretty much thought that I moved to LA to become like a dirtbag and fall off the grid <laughs> or something. You know, it's like, oh, he's going to play music. He'll be back. Yeah. And then I wasn't coming back, you know? And then <laughs> my dad would be at, you know, the, the volunteer yacht club in Lynn, it, not as glamorous as it sounds by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, a commercial would come on, I'd be on, and he'd be able to be like, oh, that's my son, you know, and it gave him a little bit of brag wow, factor. Yeah. And then when I did go back and visit, the attitude at home had completely changed, where it was no longer, you know, what are you doing with your life? Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, we've been seeing you, you've actually been on, on TV, how's it going? What's what's yeah. it like in Hollywood, you know? And right. then the embarrassing stuff of like, so what celebrities are you hanging out with? And, and that mm-hmm. type of stuff. But um, it, it is different when, um, if you don't have support, if when you start to appear in stuff, then people take it to a different a different understanding of it. And I think you probably had a lot more support than I did. <laughs> as far as like your family's pretty cool with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But when you go to New York, and New York is kind of, uh, it can be very rough. Yeah. But, um, you know, what school were you going to? I went to the New York Conservatory, Dramatic Arts. Yeah, right NYCDA. On. Right on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, oh, what... I'm trying to think, like, there's probably some people in that class that that we would know, yeah. These days, like, did you have any um, fellow students that kind of made it? Not, he wasn't in my year, but Miles Teller graduated from my school. Okay, Miles Teller, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's one of them. He's, he's a, been around for a while. 
genre beloved or genre hated, depending upon how you look at it. People hate the Fantastic Four movie. But um, otherwise, he's done pretty well for himself. He has. Yeah. He's great. So when did you decide to leave New York? Was it because um, did you went through school and you graduated or you're like, yeah. okay, I've, gone, I've hit this wall and now I need to go someplace else? Or were you doing any kind of theater or was there a lot of work to be had in New York? I was doing a lot of theater, um, but the theater I was doing like... It was like underground. It was off, like off, 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 Broadway. off Broadway. It was like the weird. It was yeah. great fun, yeah, <laughs> but like, you know, I it got was, this thing I'm doing at Liberty and Lefferts in the, Queens. You know how it is, and you yeah. come to school and, you, and you're fresh, and you're like, I'm a thespian, yeah. and you're like, you you do, but you're really doing theater for yourselves. Yeah, it's really just for your little ensemble. Yeah. Like you're not thinking about. Then sometimes I look back, I'm like, wow, that was really self-masturbatory. Like the work that we're doing was a little bit, but it was great. You know, I think about those times, I'm like. It's the same out here. I mean, if you go go up and down Santa Monica Boulevard and Theater Row here, it's like little tiny productions next Uh to little tiny productions. And for like when I got here in the 90s, there was some actually kind of exciting stuff in that it was, um, you know, it was really niche and it took chances and it Uh was kind of risque and, and out there. And now it's just adaptations of stupid things from the 70s. Like, oh. it's, it's completely just like, we want, you know, we're trying to land a, a production deal. And back then, the only places that were, and not to, to detriment them for this, but the only places that were getting attention from television were the improv. Yeah. And um, there was, like, the, the night class at the um, at Groundlings. Mm-hmm. Like, and there were, like, three people that were on SNL that would not give up mm-hmm. their seats at Groundlings. So it kind it kind of like kept new talent from coming up for a little bit. So Actors Gang, which was um, Tim Robbins' company, was doing really great plays and and kind of breaking new actors. And so Jack Black was part of that. Um, John Cusack had been working with him for a very long time. And so knowing and seeing Jack in these in these these productions, and my roommate Michelle Chanel was a stage manager. Our house was kind of like the after party house for all that <laughs> stuff. So there'd be parties, or, and even in like the middle of the day, like you know, I, I would bartend at night, you know. Yeah. Familiar story. Absolutely. And uh, you know, you, you sleep a little bit late, and you hit your auditions, mm-hmm. and so you know, get out of bed at, at eleven thirty in the afternoon, and, and go downstairs and take a shower. You walk upstairs, and then Susan Sarandon's opening the door, you oh know, and coming through. I'm in my towel, and <laughs> my towel falls off, and I run into my bedroom, and she knows my name, you know, and and it's it's like yeah, she does. <laughs> Tim <laughs> like, yeah, Rob was like three and a half feet taller than me, right. but yeah, the um, so it was a really interesting environment. But seeing Jack become famous mm-hmm. was was really great to see. You know that I wasn't an actors gang actor. Yeah. You know, I was this guy that occasionally got work and yeah. didn't really th- seem to take it too seriously, and was more interested in behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And this guy was incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, Canadian comes to L.A. <laughs> Does amazing comedy stuff. Yeah. Um, had improv skills, you know, a mile long, and was just an entertaining and funny guy. Yeah. So, um, and there was Andy Dick was also part of that troupe, um, and and quite a few other people that would wind up in Tim's projects, but also wind up in in other Hollywood things. And so, that you know, we talk about this in the, when we talk about comic art is that unless you know somebody who's actually made it or is making mm-hmm. it you have a frame of reference, it's really difficult. You know, like you say, you come to L.A. and nobody tells you how to do it. I mean, it's like it's super competitive. Um, In the music industry, it was very welcoming. You know, when I came out here to play music, everybody was like, oh, new guy, this is awesome. Let's hang out. Is this guy cool? Because we hate everybody else. Yes. And they're they're pretty warm and they embrace you. 
uh, against everything that everybody says about LA. But in in acting, there's the clicks, and so it's like mm-hmm. there's the Beverly Hill Playhouse, you know, which is kind mm-hmm. of a hotbed of Scientology for a very long <laughs> time. And then there were like other places, and there was you know the actors actors studio. Yes. So you had like James Franco was bartending at the pizza place across the street and taking his day classes at over actress. at the mm-hmm. actor studio. And um, you know we knew him and was like, well, this dude's ridiculously good looking. He's going to make it, uh, and you know, and, yeah. and he did. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take him long. Actually, it was pretty quick. But um, you know, there's but then there's like, why isn't this person breaking through? Yeah. You know, and I've said this to you. It's like yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, who isn't who isn't seeing you and thinking like, oh my god, if you have a bunch of boxes that you want to check off, you know, it's like you check a lot of boxes. You've got like because you're um, you're biracial mm. and because you're not tall, but you don't read short. Yeah. Um, that the right person has to be like, oh my God, you'd be perfect for this. And it's just like a matter of having an agent that gets you in front of that right casting director mm-hmm. because casting directors don't like to hear directly from producers necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and what producers aren't full of shit. So there's that too, because you're going to get people that are going to like shine you on because they want something or yeah. they're just like, they're just not genuine. Right. So when you come to LA after being in New York and doing theater and having a little support system and putting yes. on plays. Yes. How does that transition happen? And again, it's like talking from like having success yeah. in another country, getting a, d- a degree in the dramatic yeah. arts and doing work, and then you come to LA and it's like, what am I going to do? Absolutely. It's not, it's hard. It is really hard emotionally and, like, and it, mentally as well. You, I question myself every single day. Yeah. I have moments still in the shower where I'm like, I am terrible. Yes. And, you know, I I moved from New York because I finished my school. I did another year and I realized I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. For me, I was like, I am working, like I said, waitressing and bartending 30 hours a week to live in New York not doing what I want to do and I knew I always wanted to do film and TV mm-hmm. I, I love fantasy I love sci-fi I love the world I love that mm-hmm. I was like I need to be I want to be here and everyone's like you, you again people giving you advice but by, by they think the steps are the rules that you have to follow yeah. you can't move if you don't have an agent you can't go without representation yeah. you just you just can't I was Except like, that you can. <laughs> yeah, and it really was. And a question for me was, I was like, I'm just going to follow my happiness. And I knew I wasn't happy in, in New York anymore. I was like, I I need to go. And we all, most people have their fuck it moments in New York. Yeah. And I've talked to some actors here who, um, a, a working actor, uh, Hank Chen, he's Asian. Um, he, he said he had a fuck it moment in New York too, where he was like, fuck it. And he left. And it wasn't really because he was so much chasing the work. I just knew, I was like, it is just time. Yeah. And I will make it work. Yeah. And I will just do it. I will go there and I will figure it out. I just knew I need to be out of here right now because yeah. what is it? You're doing the same thing. The definition of anxiety is just doing the same thing over and over Expecting again. Expecting different results. Yes. Yeah. It, was just, it was just time to, to just change it. Jump off the treadmill. Go. The, um, now the, and you mentioned, you know, enjoying sci-fi and genre and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, what's kind of great now about this particular moment in time, you know, it's we're not woke yet, but there's definitely <laughs> steps that are happening. Yeah. Um, there has been a bigger embrace of not just white people, which is nice. Yeah. You know, that um, there have been more roles available to people of color. And it's not to the point that it should be, but it's getting a little bit better. Mm. And I've always sort of like, as, as I've been here long enough and I've seen talented actors, um, I, I feel like some of them just give up a little bit too early. But it's not for me to say. It's like if someone mm-hmm. hits that wall, if they hit that breaking point, 
You know, like I, I had an audition that took me out of acting. Oh, what was that? And I went, um, you know, you get you get these cattle calls where you get sent out for stuff that you know you're not right for. And, yes. and one of the things that I used yeah. to get sent out for all the time were Mountain Dew commercials. I must have auditioned for 15 Mountain Dew commercials. <laughs> and I never got one. I knew I was never going to get one. And you'd be in a room full of people and there'd be this gigantic idiot who couldn't remember um, did it or done it or doing it again. I mean, it's like, and it wasn't all three of those lines. It was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I'd be in a room and it was like the same stuff constantly. Mm-hmm. And I would see these oafs blow like two word lines constantly and everybody just groan. And I'm like, why do I get sent out on this stuff? And of course you have to go out on those auditions yeah. because those casting agents don't just cast Mountain Dew. Yeah. yeah. But I was in a room and the, um, the casting agent we you know we're talking about this, that, and the other thing. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're kind of a messiah, and you're gonna be walking out on water." And I'm and I and I'm thinking like, "Why am I here?" Right. And he asked me to take my shirt off, and I wasn't comfortable with my body. I didn't think that I was in particularly good shape, and I was like, "I don't think so, dude." You know. And he's yeah. like, "He's like, no, no, let's just let's just let's just play it like this." And I was like, "I was like, is that?" in the sides you know is that in the spot because it doesn't sound like the description of of what i'm i'm reading for yeah and he was like he's like you don't have to do it if you, if you don't want to and i was like all right let's do it okay and i did it i took off my shirt and shot the scene and as i you know it kind of head goes back you do this kind of jesus christ post thing and i looked and i could see that the camera wasn't on <sighs> and it was clearly just a power play that this guy was just being a dick and <sighs> i didn't say anything about it i walked That's out awful. And I was like, God damn, I feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. And I'm like, this happens to women all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my moment where I'm like, I'm not special. This is not, like, I'm not right. the only person this happens to. Yes. I'm just now understanding the stories that my, my actor friends who are women are telling me all the time without telling me everything. And so, like, that whole yeah. um, bundle of emotions and experience, I was like, I'm never going back out on, on these auditions. If I get requested, I'll go. I had already kind of stopped loving acting and was more mm. into writing and production. And uh, and that really, it pushed me out of, of acting. And it was like that one bad thing. And I'm like, my God, you know, like what a what a wimp I was. You know, oh, that, no. But, no. That, but like I say, you know, that, that actresses go through it daily. Like I, I would talk to um, actress yes. friends at the time that if they had seven auditions, that was six of them. Right. You know, like for me, that was a once in a lifetime terrible opportunity. I had other terrible auditions right. and injuries and stuff like that. But yes. it was like every person has that particular breaking point where they feel like they can't do it and it drives them out or they leave. And now I'm, you know, 20 years older and it's like, ah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing that again. It's, yes. you know, now I know better. I, I know, Should. I know where my boundaries are. I know who I am. Yes. And when you're young, you don't. You and don't. people take advantage. You don't know your boundaries. Yeah. And you're, you know, I'm still figuring out myself. You know, Ashley. I, I've had, you know, I, I'll share this and you can tell me your opinion if you thought this was kind of like weird, but I, because I am mixed, I'm half white, half Asian, but I, I, I do look, I think a bit more Asian, but I do get a bit of my brown hair from my dad. The jeans have to go somewhere. Um, I was on an audition. It was a commercial one and they, I walked in, they slate and we had all the women lined up and then they asked us on camera, are you full Chinese? And they were going down the line and being like, "All right," and I was like, "That is." I'm more about the legality of that question. It's really it was odd, yeah. you know. Like, I'm like, "Would you ask a person's half black, half white if they're full black? Right? If they're full white?" It was just, it was it was odd. Yeah, strange. Was and it for a Chinese production? It was for a Chinese. I think it was for a Chinese commercial for a Chinese uh, product. Interesting. And 
I, I feel like it was really weird to yeah. ask that. I feel like that's something you can really kind of see. I, I don't know. I, I love being kind of thrown a little bit. Yeah. Like I want. Like I don't know if I don't know if, you, if it's if it's actually technically legal to ask those questions. It but was of course, weird. I was ask like questions that they're not supposed to ask all the time. Yeah, I, I'd be you, uh, a little. P- yeah, are you pure white? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we am, need you actually. to look in the camera and say. Yeah, I am pure white. It, I mean, it was a yeah. That's bizarre. I thought it was a bit bizarre, but yeah. and then again, I, I I don't. I was left kind of like, is, am I am I being too sensitive? I, 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 <laughs> is it? I don't know. But what? Do you, so these days, you're still going out on auditions. I know that there, yeah. there's you know people talk about pilot season. Pilot season is actually like all year long now because there's Netflix so has a different that. schedule. Mm-hmm. Now, um, mm-hmm. clearly, I encourage everybody shout out some of your social media. Where can people find you or, or see your stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find me on the Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, Petite Campbell, P-E-T-I-T-E-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L mm-hmm. is my gram. Uh, and that's really kind of the main place that I'm like on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for coming in and talking about this. Yeah. Um, we're going to have in uh, Diana Georgie to kind of take a different aspect of, of this. Mm. But, um, you know, I thought it was important to bring you in for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that because we do have so many people that um, are involved in genre filmmaking and, and in that type of thing, that I think if they do see you, they're going to be like, yeah, like, Kennedy's <laughs> right. Like, why, is it, why doesn't everybody know who this girl is? But that, um, that also that there are a lot of people mm. that I just think don't realize um, what what a tough transition is like, you know, mm. that um, that it is really different and very difficult to go from, I mean, even geographically in the United States, to go from a certain area and, and, and relocating and, um, and trying to continue whatever the buzz was that started that gets you in, excited about things. People in bands know this yes. probably better than anybody. Mm. You can be the big band in a small town mm-hmm. and you go to another city and it's like now you're competing with everybody. They don't yeah. necessarily know who you are. And that's why, you know, the keeping the home base and touring became a big thing with musicians. You can't do that as an actor. No, you have to be where they're casting stuff. Do. And so you have to kind of be able to, you have to know who you are. Mm-hmm. You have to um, be really solid with about what your boundaries are. And you have to be willing and able to stick it out. And I think what's great is that you actually get to go back to Malaysia quite frequently and visit yeah. and it's kind of like your touchstone it's like you know i've been in la for a certain amount of months yeah my job is driving me crazy i'm gonna go back i'm gonna retouch i'm gonna reconnect get re-excited and come back out and yes. have a new purpose yes and i encourage people too mm-hmm. many people in america feel like they move to la and they give themselves like two years to make it which is an absurd and arbitrary timeline yeah. and then they go back home and they never come out they never come back yeah. and it's like no regroup Come back. Yes. Regroup. Come back. Yes. You, you need that kind of time off. You need that vacation Very time. Important. You need that mental health time. Mental health time. Yeah. That's, it's definitely all about that. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. All right. <laughs> going to take a little break here to hear a word from one of our sponsors, so we'll be back in 60. Hello, and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. And uh, in continuing with this, this special on the immigrant experience in entertainment, I wanted to invite on my friend Diana Georgie, who was born in St. Petersburg and came here as a child and has been in West Hollywood for quite a while now and has had um, some pretty incredible success in modeling and in painting. And so this is a, a sort of very different aspect of what we talked about with Melissa, where Melissa um, had had early success and is now describing that transition and trying to um, continue on in a career as a young adult um, and continue 
the second chapter of a, of a fairly successful career as an actress. We're going to talk about what it's like to come here apropos of nothing, you know, with a, with your family and um, and then kind of figure it out as you go along. So how old were you when you came here from Russia? Hi, Matt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> um, I was not even eight months old, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the, the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And my mom immigrated here with literally pretty much nothing but the clothes on her back. Yeah. So it was starting from scratch. And she had a degree actually in journalism back mm-hmm. in Baku. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was working towards that, had dreams of the future. And, you know, one day you wake up and life is not ever the same again. And yeah. now you have baby. Your mom would be a fascinating interview too, actually, by the way. Oh, your, yeah. Your I, I don't know so why cool. I'm here. She should be the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and she, I mean... My mom is actually full Armenian. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know I'm half Armenian at all, mm-hmm. um, amongst many other things on the <laughs> other half. But um, yeah, she basically had to flee Azerbaijan. There was essentially a, another mini genocide happening, yeah. which is not really talked about at all. Yeah, um, it's interesting. There's there's a, an almost uh, mention of that in the Terminal, the Spielberg film. They don't say that he's Armenian, mm-hmm. but clearly the only place where you could have a visa from that was now being canceled and that um, you had no um, status officially was if you were Armenian during a really small period of time during that second Azerbaijan uh, revolution. Yeah. And um, and I, I sort of really wish that Spielberg had kind of called out, you know, which country it was and not kind of made up a, a fake country for it to represent. Sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there's one of many coups that don't get covered by American newspapers, right? That's true. Yeah, it, it, most people... So I, you'd be surprised how many people don't even Americans don't know what Azerbaijan is. It's yeah. I mean it's not a country you hear much on the news or you know just in films. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it might as well be Mars. Yeah, <laughs> some yeah. People. Um, but yeah, she she we had family in Saint Petersburg, so they helped my mom at this difficult time, and that's when you know my cue I was born, mm-hmm. and um, you know she just kind of was figuring out what she wanted to do where to resettle and that didn't feel like home Mm -hmm. and that's the time when um america was taking in a lot of immigrants from soviet union at this Mm -hmm. difficult time and um i believe we had a sponsor Mm -hmm. and you know it's crazy because we literally could have landed anywhere in the country we could be in the middle of some small village in like Oklahoma. Right. It could be anywhere. But of all places, it ended up being San Francisco. Yeah. And I mean, that's a pretty goddamn lucky place to end up anywhere on earth. And, you know, and that's when my mom kind of was like, okay, well, what does one do when you're 24 years old and you have a baby? And my father was still um, back in Baku, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, they were separating. It was just a really turbulent time. And that's when she decided, oh, how about dental assisting? And then the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah. So she, you relocate from San Francisco to West Hollywood at what age? Uh, I believe I was 17. 17. So right, senior high school. Well, no, I, I actually got homeschooled and mm-hmm. I graduated high school pretty early, right when I turned 16, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, funny enough, I, I was doing some modeling back in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, you know, dreams of New York and the big league and 
I went out there once and met with agencies, everyone from the top to the no name that yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be with your last Yeah, resort. the broom closet next to the uh, <laughs> the, the elevator on the same floor as, yeah. a, better, as a well-known place. Yeah, Essentially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, it pains me to say I, um, I was rejected by everyone, yeah. literally everyone. Not yeah. one person was like, okay, let's give her a chance. Everyone slammed the door in my face. Yeah. So when I came back to San Francisco, um, you know, graduating high school early and everything, I was like, cool. Um, I've been painting as a hobby all this time. I literally live two blocks away from Academy of Art. Yeah. Um, what am I doing? Cool. I'm going to go work as a, you know, barista somewhere part time and start going to art school. Mm-hmm. Follow what I love. And then one day, um, the late Oscar de la Renta mm-hmm. actually was having a show in um i believe it was tahoe mm-hmm. and they were casting from san francisco agencies yeah so yeah it's a straight shot over there you just you know you head a little bit east it was i've just, done that drive i've done yeah, that drive from yeah. tahoe across it's, it's actually a really i mean tahoe is gorgeous both yeah. in winter and summer this was i think like springtime and you know a lot very um from what i remember it was in a really beautiful sort of um country club kind mm-hmm. of an environment you know lots of very poised older rich ladies yeah yeah the blue um, hairs yeah 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 <laughs> um and i booked that show mm-hmm. um and i was chosen to close it mm-hmm. so at the very finale of the show uh, mr de la Renta and i came out hand in hand mm-hmm. and that photo made it i believe to a cover of women's wear daily which is this daily yeah. magazine yeah and just WWD, as i WD, industry yeah. standard yeah yep. it's like the variety of the fashion world mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then um, as I'm, you know, preparing papers and everything to go to art school, um, that cover landed on the desk of an agent here, um, Krista Clayman mm-hmm. at LA Models. And she kind of scouted me down, you know, who is this girl and called my agent in San Francisco and, mm-hmm. you know, said, come here, I'd like to represent you. And um I think by then I, you know, I think it was probably six months later after my very failed New York trip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you grow a little bit taller, smarter, yeah. skinnier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then by the time I got to LA to meet with Krista, who was interested in representing me for Runway, mm-hmm. um, I met with other agencies here for print, and the response was day and night difference. Yeah, um, I had my pick of the litter mm-hmm. here. Um, and after, you know, almost 16 years, 17 years of being in San Francisco, um, I don't know, my family and I kind of decided maybe it's time for a change. And, and we moved certainly here. it was getting a lot more expensive oh, in yeah. the Bay Area around this yeah. time, too. So there was the, um, I know a lot of people who relocated from the Bay, if they went south, they came to L.A., like invariably. There was no no halfway medium. If they were going south, they were coming to LA. Some people that wanted to stay in the Bay Area, Bay Area would go out to Sacramento or they would go out to, um, oh gosh, um, Oakland. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was worse because they knew what they were missing via San Francisco while being that close to it and adding to the commute. So they would invariably go further north and they go to Portland and they go to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's 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 good that you went to where it was a little bit warmer. Yeah. And I mean, and, and into um, a very large Russian community. 
You know, West Hollywood is a very large Russian community of various Russian caucus countries. We, well, there's actually a, a funny, not so funny, actually, mm-hmm. story to the why. Um, literally, on my first, we, we get off the plane. Mm-hmm. We were staying at a motel on Beverly Boulevard, mm-hmm. right next to CBS Studios. Mm-hmm. And it was probably around 10 p.m. And my mom and I were like, oh, let's go for a bite. And there's a subway down the block. Mm-hmm. Um, and by, mind you, like Tironi, one of my favorite Italian restaurants, is on that street now. Yeah. So, And I, I visit, frequent there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that particular evening, we step outside and we got mugged. At gunpoint. Well, not gunpoint. I, I thought. I think they might have had it. On but Fairfax. On, on, Beverly, on, Beverly, on Beverly. Very close to Fairfax. That's even rarer. Yeah. 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 Now that I'm, you know, LA's been home for over a decade, it's that much more bizarre that that happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really startled us a lot, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. You know, it's our first night in LA. Yeah. And that the next day, actually, was meeting with Krista. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we decided to be moving here it's kind of like okay well everything in this town seems scary (laughs) where could possibly be the safest bet and then you know coming into west hollywood which i feel at that time 10 years ago was even more predominantly russian yeah there was a video store was over on fairfax and Mm -hmm. um and willoughby Mm -hmm. and there was uh, a lot of um, russian shops and import places where you could get canned foods and stuff that were maybe rarer to get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was definitely still a vibrant community. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there still is. It's definitely very prevalent. I mean, t- two stories down from where we are right now, there's is, a caviar is shop. Caviar shop, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too bad I can't have it. I'm deadly allergic to caviar. I'm yeah. the worst Russian. But <laughs> if I could, <laughs> that's yeah. where I'd probably go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also now, LA, it's funny you mentioned LA Model, so that, that was my first agency. Oh, so really? um, when I was just telling the story about you know like how everything <laughs> fell in my lap as an actor that I went with a friend to her casting and she was with LA Models. Mm-hmm. So um, when I signed in on a call sheet and figured I could do this and I got it, I got her agency. So I got LA Models, and then they were just setting up LA Talent at the time. So they mm-hmm. were still, um, what was his name? Um, Oh, what's the, what's the guy who owns um, LA Models? Um, uh, Heinz Holman. Heinz Holman. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, Heinz was setting up a s- separate divisions. You know, they were also going to open New York New York Models at the time, which mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if they still have or if, if that blended into Jump or somebody else. But um, that all of this was also in West Hollywood, and so I lived in West Hollywood. I lived over on Detroit Street, so I lived not too far from here where we're recording, not too far from where you live, and not too far from where LA Talent and LA Models is now, <laughs> which is just like three blocks, yeah. you know, west. So um, there's a bunch of interesting little coincidences that happen when we do this podcast. You know, it's like we learn things like, oh, there's this connection to that, and there's this connection to that. So you start booking a lot of work. You also end up um, working with Retina. Yeah. Um, well, Retina actually is much more uh, recent mm-hmm. in recent years. Um, I, you know, nothing I have to say really came easy. Nothing was just given ever to me. If I right. ever set my sights for something, I actually had to go. I feel like. When I compare stories, you know, with other artists now or with other models back in the day, um, I feel like I've never just gotten anything smoothly. I had yeah. to jump through a lot of fiery loops to yeah. kind of prove to myself to yeah. some degree, I guess. But and, you're also not scenery. You know, like there's a lot of people that 
that work in in performance or as models and they they kind of I don't know if, if this was something that was drilled in at a certain time or if it's just a personality trait of, of certain models, but a lot of girls will just go and do the job and they're not really very innately curious. They're not very outgoing. And so what you've had, as far as I've, I've known, as long as I've known you, is that you have an innate curiosity, but it's not just curiosity. It's like, I'm not just going to be curious about this. I'm going to ask a question about it and I'm going to ask a follow-up question about it, and then I'm going to go read up on it, and I'm going to figure <laughs> out you know, if what they just told me is true and, <laughs> and kind of come back with it and, and find your own way. And I think that it's a combination of that kind of DIY aesthetic, but that there's a real follow-through. And I think that curiosity without follow-through is worthless. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, it's not enough to just ask the question, it's, or even to have the question. It's to ask the question. It's to... Um, get some feedback about the answer and to kind of integrate it into your own system and see if that works for you in order to, to come back out and do it. And so, I mean, you, you've been, you also have patience, you know, and there's, there's a certain amount of, of thing, there's a certain thing to be said for having patience that some people give up too easily, um, some people are too easily dissuaded, and, you know, patience. And this might, might be a Russian thing, though, too, you know, there's kind of like, you know, there's a certain fatalist aspect of like, well, we don't expect anything, you know, where I think a lot of people do. A lot of people expect things. A lot of people expect an introduction. A lot of people expect um, a certain amount of, um, I'm, I, I don't want to sound, you know, um, a negative, but some people expect a certain amount of humanity that certainly we see as lacking in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you come from not even necessarily a culture, but if you come from a mindset where it's like, I don't expect anybody to hand me anything, so I'm going to work for this, that you get in the habit of working for stuff. And then you get in the habit of working harder for stuff. And so, you know, when you say it's like, you know, nothing came easy, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like you've really, you've made your own career. You've built your own career. And that's that's commendable. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I remember as a kid being told, like, never stop asking questions. yeah. yeah. And I, I guess that became my permanent mantra in life, you know. Probably a good thing you were homeschooled because they're not going to teach you that in a public school in San Francisco. No, no, that that was actually a complete disaster. I really wanted to go to, um, what was it? I think it's called Lowell High School. Mm-hmm. And I actually graduated middle school with, I think, like a 3.9. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, I, I was like, okay, I have to be the valedictorian, you yeah. know. I mean, I really had my sights set on, you know, that kind of level of education. And then um, the San Francisco School District was absurd for choosing to place kids based on proximity versus where the grades actually. Very common American thing. So I, I was placed in this high school that doesn't really have the best reputation. Yeah. Um, Not a magnet school, we'll say. No, no. Yeah. Um, you, I, I don't want to say anything bad, but I mean, you, you could, any grade, it, it's not known for its, you know, intellect or, you know, there's no AP classes, nothing yeah. like that. Um, and mind you, at that time, I was already probably five, I was already probably my height. So I was five yeah. nine, extremely thin, mm-hmm. had my Harry Potter glasses on. Yeah. Um, I seem to for, have forgotten to develop as a girl until very late. So no one was going to be flirting with that. That was just going to get picked on. Right. Um, and I wasn't, <laughs> I just wasn't cut out for that. I'm not, I wouldn't be good in fights and yeah. I, it just wasn't my environment. So yeah. homeschool was not only the 
best possible um, resolution, but just the level of the curriculum. Yeah. I mean, if it's, you can only read How to Kill a Mockingbird so many times. You're yeah. Like, I get it. I'd like to actually challenge myself, maybe do something more difficult. How about we use the same blueprint for the assignment, but can we overlap it on this novel instead? Yeah. And the teachers are much more flexible. They want to learn. They like actually having students that want to be more pushed. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just the best possible place for me to be at that time. Right, right. And, you know, begin working on everything else that mm -hmm. I had my sights set on. But now coming back to your question earlier, um, like I said, nothing was ever really just handed or mm -hmm. waiting for me. And so when I was just, it seemed like just going through one rejection after another and, okay, well, what am I doing here? How much do I want this? And you start second guessing pretty much everything about your life. Mm -hmm. um, I was going through a really bad phase of insomnia. Mm -hmm. And I think I came across Retina's Instagram page probably around three or four three in the morning, in the morning. Yeah. When he's uploading. Just yeah. About, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's having a posting spree. Um, and I just liked a few photos and I sent him a little DM, something along the lines of, I love your work. It's something I don't think I've ever seen another mm -hmm. person do. For people who aren't familiar, Retina is a, a very well-known um, street artist who works with aerosol in um, a graffiti style but he sort of invented his own language um his own character language so it's not really text but it's textual mm -hmm. and it's it caught the zeitgeist probably back in 2010 or so and is has really he he goes back further and there's murals that from in la that go back to 2007 but um he really started to take off about then um had a show at, Mar at michael cohen gallery and that kind of launched him into that, not quite Gagosian, but definitely that museum level of exhibition. He's now world famous. He does murals all over the place. <coughs> and so back to your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's just a pioneer. I mean, to really be able to introduce something that novel. Yeah. Um, you know, you would, it's 2018. I mean, essentially, you feel like everything exists. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know, to still be able to constantly reinvent yourself and create that quality of work and just be a breathing, living artist like that mm -hmm. and be here in L.A., um, that that's exciting. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I messaged him and he was up mm -hmm. <laughs> and he wrote me back and I guess he kind of just assumed I was a girl. Mm -hmm. You know, my I had on my Instagram page predominantly modeling photos. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, no, no, no. Um, I'm actually an artist. Here's some of my work, which was not that great, mind mm -hmm. you, at the time. Um, now in retrospect. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, if you're around this week, come by the studio. I would love to meet you. Mm -hmm. And I came in and we talked for probably 20 minutes. And he asked me some questions about myself. And I told him, this is what I want to do. Like, I don't know. I need a push. Yeah. He's like, okay, let's uh, let's get going let's paint mm -hmm. um he actually he loves collecting really beautiful gowns expensive gowns mm -hmm. um from church boutique so he's like actually there's something i want to try um you're a model so can we do something fun for a second i'm like mm -hmm. okay what and now a quick little segue church boutique is a very high-end um I get a well, boutique and they handle jewelry and clothing and artwork. And so they do have mm -hmm. some, they've got some retina stuff in there. It's on Santa Monica. 
Um, I'm trying to think who you compare it to. If, there, if there's any place that people would really know that really, like Fred Siegel's back in its heyday, was never quite as curated as churches. Churches, I think, a lot more what you would say just true couture. Yeah, it, it, it's almost wearable art essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's headpieces and masks. It's not very expensive. Would, yeah, very very expensive stuff. It's something you'd wear to a gala, perhaps, yeah. or for a photo session, but not. I mean, not Sunday brunch. No, no. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a very very snappy dresser, <laughs> I guess you know. Unless you're a Rothschild. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, he 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 insisted I put on this dress, and I think it was some really expensive. Like you know, you could tell this probably is worth so much. It's pearls and metal, yeah. and you know, you feel like a million bucks putting it on. And mm-hmm. I put this dress on. I'm like, no, you, are you sure you want me to paint in this? And he's like, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Like, all right. Well, he said this is a memory I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started painting, and I was doing a background, you know, abstract kind of this gradient from what I remember. It was like purple to gold. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of collaborated on two different ones together. And mm-hmm. then once that dried, he did his, you know, very traditional hieroglyphics. Yep. And um, yeah. And then from then on, we, we did a couple collaborations for billboards mm-hmm. with church. Yep. And then I assisted him. And that was kind of a big changing point for me because, you know, he... Retina is an interesting person because there's so much happening in his world and what mm-hmm. around him. Um, and it, it's, you never know what to expect. I mean, yeah. one minute things can be still the next minute. It's almost chaos. Yeah. Um, but there was something exciting, I guess, around that yeah. being around that. Cause I've never been around any person like him before. Mm-hmm. And, um, he kind of grabbed me by the hand and just, I don't know, thrust this confidence mm-hmm. in me. Like, you can do this. Yeah. Stop second-guessing yourself. You got this. Yeah. And I never really had someone believe in me like that before. And yeah. that's something that I could never forget. Yeah. Because when you're used to hearing no's and, you know, just one rejection after another for someone of that stature... Mm-hmm to believe in you and really kind of ignite that fire like no 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 come on i believe in you you could do this mm-hmm. that's priceless yeah and you know i'm i'm beyond thankful for that and you know that i'll always thank him for that yeah well there's also a very um kind of cookie cutter approach around modeling in that if you're working with you know <coughs> could be anybody from Mario Testino who you've worked with I haven't. Actually. Oh, you haven't. Oh, no. you've worked with uh, who have you worked with photography wise? Um, a bunch of people. Uh, he, here in LA, actually, in the last like two years, I worked with um, Randall Slavin. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, right now my brain is completely whacked. <laughs> um, oh, forgetting names right now. Yeah. The um, cold medication. We're I, still in the middle of, of a very, very heavy flu epidemic in LA, and while we're all over our flu, there's still like that. That that cold hangover that comes after the flu, so yeah, so everybody's heavily medicated. But um, you've worked with a lot of kind of top flight photographers in fashion, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, and I've worked with photographers in fashion um, from when I was acting or on camera, but also as an assistant and working with people like um, you know Matthew Ralston and people like that. That if you were a model, you were a model. 
Mm-hmm. You know what it's like? And they did not want to know anything else about your life. Um, they did not want to hear that you were also a photographer. You know, that there was not only was there no encouragement, but there was a sort of prejudice against um, the ability for someone to be um, to have multi interests. Mm-hmm. And so um, what's kind of great about retina being so supportive about that is that that is the almost exact opposite feedback that you would likely have gotten from anybody else in that end of the industry. And so by doing that campaign, the church campaign, and there's the um, there's photography of you with Retina's um, artwork on it as well, mm-hmm. that you can then get the attention of other important campaigns that are like, oh, you know, like, if we want a piece of this very exciting and volatile collaboration that um, we see is, is in, in the streets, and you know how it is, it's like there's... In uh, that Madison Avenue attitude, it's like, oh, yeah, we need something hip, you know. And so, like, whether it's uh, whoever the client is going to be for that that ad agency, they know that they get a certain amount of of something new, something current mm-hmm. by virtue of seeing you and this work. And so you've since done guest campaigns. You've since done um, some other really major, major campaigns. And... That's got to be even more exciting for them now, the fact that you're also becoming known as a painter. Whereas before, and even like 10 years ago, they'd be like, they'd almost discourage you from it. They'd be like, well, are you a model or are you a painter? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why can't I be both? You know, and it's like, I think that the particular instances that have led to your situation were self-made but appreciated. And so that leads you into this other ability to get noticed. And that's great. I mean, everybody should should be able to benefit from the synergy of the different things that they do. Actors and, and musicians, you know, Taylor Momsen, Gossip Girl, um, and and her band, you know, um, the was it the pretty I can't I can't think of the name of her band, but um, <laughs> but anyways, you know that she's she was able to kind of walk those two lines, and 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 one might have detrimented from the other because of the scheduling, but as a collective, as as two different forms of celebrity of two things being known for, it was absolutely helpful mm-hmm. and um, pretty reckless. And um, so, what's really most amazing to me, and I've seen your painting develop over the years, is that you did have this really focus on kind of Mark Rothko type abstract and if you were to tell anybody who knows your art now that that's where you started at <laughs> they'd be like well then how did it become this kind of amazing Walter Walton Ford technical floral paintings because you have a really great technical gift for a visual style that is figurative and coming at that from from an abstract um, direction is kind of the opposite of the way that most people think of doing it. It's like that people go to art school and they learn figure drawing and they get their, you know, they do their three years and they get their degree and they, they get their, their painting chops up and then they graduate and then they throw all that figurative work away and they do the fun work mm-hmm. of just doing, you know, their, their abstract. You've done the harder route, which is to go from the sort of non-figurative work into extremely technical work. Mm-hmm. And that what's kind of fun about that, what's really great about that, is that then you can see each technical improvement so specifically. And what's hell on an artist is that what you've just painted 
is now compared in your head to the thing that you painted two months ago Mm -hmm. compared to the thing that you painted a year ago and two years ago and then you look back at something you painted three years ago and you're like oh my god I can't believe I painted that I can't believe I put that out there and and it's like (laughs) no and it's all great stuff and it's it's great to see those transitions and collectors love that type of transition because that's seeing you get more technical ability makes them feel good about them spotting you before you had that technical ability and they get to feel like I've always had an eye for talent <laughs> I knew there was something special about this artist and so it's it's great that especially where you fall into the calendar at, at Gallery 30 South mm-hmm. is that you know this this year has been I mean we're just in January but if you go back you know to the past year the um our our schedule isn't always figurative you know, we do abstract and high concept work in between the figurative work. But you're coming immediately after this Star Wars mashup show, which got international attention. And then your work is is very of a specific time. And it's, I think, incredibly relevant. And, you know, I encourage you. We have the preview up now at gallery30south.com. Um, go to the upcoming exhibitions, Diana Georgie, and you'll see these floral paintings. And each one of them has a single word. And so the single word is meant to invoke different things each word is a word that can mean very different things and the types of flowers that you've chosen to paint before you paint the word on top is also related to how you can take that that word in a certain direction yeah um for instance the the actually the very first painting i i started working on for the show is macho Mm -hmm. um and it's funny because i think when you think of the word macho, like when you close your eyes and actually picture it in your head. You don't see flowers. No. Yeah. I mean, the way I have always seen it is almost this SpongeBob, you know, bikini bottom beach kind of thing of mm-hmm. like, uh, I forget the, the, the name of the uh, bodybuilder. Muscle Beach over in Venice. Yes. Yeah. That so the whole six pack abs and exactly. the, the biceps. Yeah. yeah. Like super tan skin, like, yeah. you know, puffy arms. That's that's how I see macho. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, there, what happens if you gave macho a completely different meaning? Because why does it have to be, um, why does it have to be only just that? Yeah. What happens if macho is surrounded by, you know, pink hibiscus flowers and white orchids? Yeah, does it immediately just feels different? You start imagining a completely different thing, and I don't know. There was something I think interesting to capture a word as a portrait, mm-hmm. um, and you sometimes give it a juxtaposing you know, kind of context or something that is, oh, that's exactly how I imagine it. I can almost smell it. Yeah. You know, give that word just so much more character than just the simple Webster's Dictionary meaning. Right, right. Well, that's cool. And I think, you know, it's it's great to hear, and especially in in contrast to the first half of the show, these very different experiences. And um, these very different experiences as young women who are... Um, around the same age and um, who come from completely different parts of the world, both technically, I mean, well, no, you're from Europe, you're not from Asia, but I guess you know that, that Russia is, is a country that, that has a, um, a very equally split appreciation of what we might consider um, Occidental and Oriental culture and of an Asian sensibility and of a Western sensibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's cool to have these different aspects and very different experiences in the same city, you know, and, and I absolutely encourage and, and, you know, people, you, you should look up Diana Georgie on, on her Instagram. You've give me some social media. You've-
you've got the Carmen Lips. The Carmen Lips is my uh, original account that has mostly photos of my face. (laughs) 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 Um, But I opened a account for my art only, and that is Diana Georgie. Yep. Um, So... I mean, I, I don't really post any photos of myself on there. I wanted to focus completely on the work. Yeah. And it's, it's extraordinary work. I thank, thank you. you for coming in and talking about this. Thank and, you so um, much. And, you know, your show's coming up really soon. So the show will be on the walls starting on February 1st, but the, um, the actual reception is going to be on Sunday the 11th. Yes. And that'll be from 3 to 6 in Pasadena. So RSVP. And check out the show. The show, the the paintings are up now. Um, there are pre-sales happening. It's really, really extraordinary work. And again, you know, we, we talk about this a lot on this podcast. But that kind of the DIY aspect is only supported if you have gumption, if you've got drive. And no matter what it is that you're trying to pursue, we just encourage you to to keep knocking on doors and keep asking questions. Maintain that curiosity and follow up and ask for more questions. Seek other perspectives find whatever it is that works for you to be able to do it and don't feel like um, any one discipline annexes you from following another discipline it's you know the the definition of synergy is taking two um, seemingly unrelated things and piecing them together in order to benefit from them both and I love working with people that have multiple tracks of talent and multiple interests and it's just been it's been very exciting you know in, in the the, the years that we've known each other to see you really just embrace not just the painting but who you are and like you know to make these things work that there's a really great aspect to the sense of humor in your work that um that isn't always on the nose you know it's like it's not just always right there but i mean we hear you talk and i mean it's like you, you've got this magical laugh you know and, and you've got like um a really great sense of in spite of how hard you've had to work, of optimism. Always look on the bright side. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pod Sequentialism. I've been your host, Matt Kennedy. This has been recorded at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, and uh, we encourage you to seek out uh, both Diana Georgie's um, social medias, but also to check out the show at gallery30self.com.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.